it's gotten significantly noisier on social media. So like if you're creating this stuff that looks like everybody else's stuff, if you're not kind of spending a lot more time considering your audience, they're just going to scroll right by it. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 261 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Anna Wolf to the show. Anna is the CEO at Superscript where they produce breakthrough content marketing for modern financial brands. And today I look forward to exploring the evolution really the transformation of content marketing for financial brands to empower you, to guide you, the dear listener, to level up your future growth potential at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Because as I wrote in my book, Banking on Digital Growth, content is the fuel of your digital growth engine. Welcome to the show, Anna. It is good to share time with you today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I, you know, I've actually enjoyed catching up before we hit record. I mean, we went for a good half hour because it's been a couple of years since you and I had last connected. A lot has transformed. A lot has happened. It, it, it really has. And before we get into talking about maximizing growth through content, through content marketing, what is good for you right now? Personally or professionally, it is always your pick to get started on a positive note. Oh my gosh, so many things. You know, we were just starting to talk about our kids. And I think just the fact that they're, my kids are six and 11 right now. They're just both very delicious ages and I can't get enough of them. And they're happy and healthy. And we're about to have our holiday break together. This is the second year that we are closing our virtual office for the holidays. So between Christmas and New Year's, we'll be closed. And I'm not taking my laptop on vacation to travel to see my family. And I'm just going to have those days with my kids and my husband and my extended family. So I, there's just a lot, a lot is good. Well, will be good in about two weeks when, <laughs> when we go out on break. That's fantastic. And this, this is going to air right after we come back from the new year. So it'll be okay. really good to get that reflective you know, that downtime to just kind of pause, reflect on the year. And then also thinking about like, what is it's really, I think just a lot of gratitude because, you know, even I think right now from what I'm hearing from a lot of financial brand leaders, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, looking ahead towards the future, a lot of, uh, you know, economic uncertainty and, and, and people aren't feeling exactly positive right now but i still think it's not being positive for positive sakes it's 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 you being intentional looking for the good things that are around you um what's your take on that i mean when you think about looking ahead towards the future in uncertain economic times how are you ensuring that as a leader yourself you're taking care of your mental well-being Oh, it's such a good question. I, and I, 
you know, think about this often and especially lately. Um, I think a couple of things. One is that, and I'm still learning this lesson every day, but you know, you have to focus on what you can control Mm. and, and let go of the rest. Like we don't know what, I mean, I think, I think some very smart people have told us what to expect in 2023 and in some, you know, way, shape or form and timing, but we just, we don't know really Mm -hmm. what the future holds. And obviously the pandemic was a, a a very good um, teacher in that regard. It taught us that the only constant is change. And so you have to focus on what you can control and try to really let go of the rest You know, I was listening to a conversation the other day with Mel Robbins, and she was sharing how post-COVID, we still are kind of operating like we are in crisis mode. And back to your point, in banking on change, I'm writing about the need to let go to grow. Um, Because it's like, you know, it's, it's particularly like within financial services, you know, over time, we build up all of these different products and services. But then as we're moving forward into the future, it's like, what has served us to get to this point may or may not serve us to get to that next level. And it's like, what do we need to let go of? And that's a very hard conversation. And and, and I want to look back here just a bit with you, you know, in reflection, if you will, because it's, you know, new year, um, looking back on 2022, what do we need to let go of um, when it comes to just, we'll call it just marketing in general? What what served us well up to this point? Because we are going through a period of exponential change, exponential transformation. And some of the things that have you know got us to this point won't get us to where we need to go next. What, what might we need to let go of as financial brands? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. I mean, I think... I don't know that it's something that is as clean as like at the end of 2022, let's not do this anymore. Let's let go of this. Cause I think that some of these things have been building for a while and, Mm. um, and maybe it's, and I, I sense from talking to my clients that they've been feeling that they need to let go of certain things for a while. One of those is like, for example, social media marketing, because, for the hell of it, I guess, if I could say say it that way. Yep. Yep. So like we're, you know, people who are still kind of doing what they've been doing on social media for years without sort of taking into account the fact that these channels have changed drastically. Um, And, you know, like focusing on your organic uh, social media presence is just, I think, complete waste of time for most a lot of our clients. I want to interject real fast because Please do, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking as you're saying that social media marketing, like it's 2014. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's a great context horizon line because if I look back, you know, 2008 was, we'll call it the start of quote unquote social media, which really reached a pinnacle in 2012. And that was the point that I was getting requests from conferences and turning them down about speaking about social media. Cause I was like, this is kind of the new way. And what I'm seeing financial brands doing at the time back in 2012, I'm like, this isn't the path forward. So I'm not going to play in that field anymore. I'm going to go create something yeah. else over here. What, let's, let's dive deeper into that. Cause it's like, what, what has changed on that front, on that field, um, when it comes to social media marketing? 
Well, the big one is obviously like the way that the algorithm works. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, you see even like big influencers on Instagram getting angry about the fact that their content is not being served to people who have taken the time to like them because they're moving to this more kind of video friendly algorithm. Yeah. Right? And so it's just I think that's just one kind of point that that shows that or one the um yeah, one point that shows that um, you know, social media is rented land, right? Mm. Like that's, they can pull the rug out from underneath you at any point. They can change the way that, you know, people interact with your, um, content. And so it's, it just underscores. And this, again, this is not new. And I think, um, other industries and types of businesses got this a lot sooner in some cases than financial services does tend to be a couple steps behind and not, completely our fault, right? Because we have to deal with more restrictions around the way that we do marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously it feels like there's there's risk, right? We're dealing with people's money, et cetera. And so financial services marketing tends to be more risk averse for 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 good reason in some cases, for less good reason in others. Um, but I think that it's it's an interesting thing. Like I'm still kind of seeing just like what you said, I'm still seeing some financial services companies doing social media marketing as though it were a decade ago. Yeah. And it's like I just named one reason that you probably shouldn't be doing that. Um a- another one is that it's gotten significantly noisier on mm. social media. So like if you're creating this stuff that mm. looks like everybody else's stuff, yeah. if you're not kind of spending a lot more time considering your audience and and a lot more creativity and money and resources into making sure that your content is really going to land with your audience, they're just going to scroll right by it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if you're spending a lot of money on this, like it's just, it's such a waste, right? So, um, you know, we are big, we've always been big proponents of spending probably more time, money, and resources on the content creation side of things than you are right now. Yes. Um, because you if you're gonna if you're going to be interjecting your content into the tsunami of content that your your audience is seeing every day, it needs to break through. Yeah. It has to actually like hit them, right? Digital growth is a journey from good to great. But sometimes this journey can feel confusing frustrating and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. What's your take on this? Um, because I want to roll roll back for, for just a sec. You know, you mentioned the rented land issue, and that has come up a few, couple times on previous podcast conversations. I think of one with Gina B., who is the CEO at Mighty Networks, uh, episode 247. Yeah. And we were talking about the, the potential for financial brands, specifically community financial brands to build, establish, expand, grow digital communities that they own, you know, not meta, not uh, TikTok. Mm -hmm. And content is going to be 
the glue that brings that digital community together. Is that a is that a possibility? Is that a viable path forward? There's a great book on the subject called The Business of Belonging, um, which is about community building as a growth engine uh, for organizations. And I just I think about community financial brands, community banks, credit unions. Community is at the heart of everything that they do, but community is no longer just physical. Community can be digital. The challenge has been we've leveraged the the platforms that we don't control. And back to your point, when you think about the future, we can only control what we can control. I, I think this is an opportunity, but what's your take on this? 100%. I love, I love what you're saying. And I think for a community bank or a credit union, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, you know, yeah, the, the old, the old, the traditional way I think of building community or thinking about an audience um, was get them to like you on Facebook, get mm. them to follow you on Twitter, you know, and those are your sort of, the, and community is the wrong word, right? We were always saying audience. Um, but that that was where you could um, talk to people, you know, you could share your content with them. It's you broadcast. Could, broad, and it was broadcast. Yeah. And that's the, that's the problem, right? It's not a two-way conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all know how difficult it is for financial brands to really take the temperature on a regular basis from their audience, like get to know them, really get to know them. I mean, right. a lot of this happens in these like months or years long market research projects that cost, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. And then like no one has the appetite to do that every month. Right. No. So, so this idea of kind of growing with your audience or, or getting to know them on a regular basis versus like a, a one and done or a once every few years type of situation. Um, it's just, you know, it's just really hard to do. And yeah. one of the best ways to do that is to have your own community, to have a community where people do want to answer your questions to, you know, because you're sharing something of value. That's the other thing I would say. I mean, I think creating a community because you're a community bank and expecting people to show up is, you know, naive. Um, this is where I get so excited because I've always been attracted to content marketing specifically because it's providing value mm -hmm. to the audience. It's not just um, look at our rates or, you know, it's not just broadcasting. It's not just, um, it's not this one way street, right? I, I, I diagnose this as narcissistic marketing because it's all about <laughs> us. It's about our great rates. It's about our amazing services, about our look like laundry list of product features. It's commoditization. And I think as we look towards yeah. like a web 3.0 world, decentralization um, is, is a big area. But I also think it's the facilitation of bringing to be bringing people together for a cause that is far greater than the present moment. And we know the impact that financial stress has on people's physical well-being, their emotional well-being, their relational well-being. Um, that is where I see the potential to build communities around because I know so many people who struggle but they're ashamed. Tammy, Tammy Lally has a fantastic TED Talk on the subject of financial shame, that if we were just to facilitate a conversation, build a community around that conversation, and look, like this is totally, totally judgment-free. We're all struggling. We're all learning together here. The, um, the financial gym out of New York is, is doing something like this already. 
But when you think about like a community bank or a credit union, what holds them back from making that commitment? Because it is a commitment, just like building any yeah. type of relationship. It is a commitment. You know, you just don't show up to a Chambers of Commerce event um, in the physical real world, in the physical community and, you know, expect to close a loan or open a deposit account. It's a relationship. What holds financial brands back from making the commitment to go down a path like this? I think some of it is we've always done it this way. And there's a there is a lack of sort of reexamining, uh, you know, let's look at where we are now mm. and think about the you know, the end goal and work backwards from there. And is the way that we've always done things the right way? I mean, what you just described is a new way of quote unquote marketing, right? Like it's, it would be deploying marketing dollars in a such a different way than you normally do. If you were a credit union and you said, you know, having long-term loyal small business customers is our like that's our goal. Yeah. And it, it, are we are we better able to create that by posting on Meta or by opening a mighty network community and paying, you know, again, deploying those marketing dollars in a different way, paying uh community small business experts to create valuable content to do AMAs to, you know, be servicing yes. the people in this community. All of that's just so outside the box, right? Like that's no, I don't even know of a credit union that does that. If they do, fantastic. That's so forward thinking of them. But I think it's just like, a, we've never done it that way. We don't even think of these things as a marketing play. And then the other thing I'd say is that they're long-term. Now right. there are aspects of digital marketing that are long-term as well. Like SEO, for example, takes can take a long time sure. to root and show you some, um, you know, some returns, some ROI. Um, but I think if you, especially for a community bank or a credit union, that's like, we've been around for dozens of years and we plan to be around for the next hundred years. If you're, if you are a long-term business, you're not just looking to get acquired. Um, then this is the, these are the avenues that you can kind of play with, I think, because you, you want longevity, you yes. want, you want customers and clients that are going to like their kids are going to come to you too. Right. Like you want to create that kind of relationship. Um, and so these, these types of, you know, a community, for example, um, would absolutely surprise and delight your client, your customers and make them want to send their kids to you when they're old enough. Yeah. And I, 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 there are, there's some movement in this direction. I think about, um, Paul Long, who's been a guest on the podcast, he was at a community bank. He's, he's a commercial lender. He's now at a credit union. I think about Keith Costello uh, at Locality Bank, um, and he's hosting a podcast now, you know, talking with small local businesses. It's, it's, we're moving in this direction, but I think back to your point, it's, and I hear CEOs say this all the time, we don't know what we don't know. And so that's a matter of education, um, ongoing education in a world of exponential change because it's happening, I feel, and COVID has kind of been the catalyst to, to your point earlier, it's happening faster. I'm going to pause because let's get some clarity here. You know, we've been talking about content. We've been talking about social media. What's a common belief 
that leaders might have about content or content marketing that that you would disagree with? The thing that pops into my mind is not so much a belief as just, again, kind of a how we've always done things. Um, and I think that I mean, you said the word earlier, it's this idea of co- content as a, as a broadcast versus a conversation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what I see that I wish I always want to change, I guess, um, is when brands are deciding what kind of content to put out into the world and they're, you know, via their content marketing, they are doing it in a room with people who work for the company and they're deciding what to write or, (laughs) you know, put on their podcast or, you know, and I've been so complicit in this. I mean, I've been in this industry for over 20 years. So this is not, I don't say this from a judgmental place. I think it's just so prevalent that it's like, it's a hard habit to break. Um, But there, there should be far more, um, gathering of information from your audience and, and, and infusing that into, you know, what are we going to talk about? How are we going to talk about it? Where are we going to talk about it? All the, you know, the who, what, when, where, why of your content marketing, it it should just have so much more of the audience's kind of feedback in there i guess it's the it's the empathetic lens if you will it's it's identifying common people problems that cause common people pain and Mm -hmm. when when we pause and i think you said the word and, and you've been in this position yourself i've been there myself and it takes a lot of i think self awareness to break out of that because you said habit and i think if we unroll that and not to get too philosophical but like what informs habits or or people's actions what informs people's actions are really their feelings their emotions what informs their feelings and emotions are their thought patterns what informs their thought patterns it's their belief structure and it's if you roll all of that back to transform the the operational perspective of marketing within a financial brand, bank, credit union, fintech, mortgage, financial advisor, doesn't matter. It's really rolling it all the way back to the belief structure because otherwise you you, you dabble in some of this stuff, mm-hmm. but there's not really that long-term commitment to see this through to the other side to where you really are, as I write about in Banking on Digital Growth, helping first and selling second. Um, and I think, you know, in a world of economic uncertainty, not just within a financial brand, but also from just people in the communities that financial brands serve, I always say that people want two things. They want help, they want hope. But hope hmm. hope has to come long before many are even willing and able to receive the help that is available to them because it's like ah, what's the point i'm stuck you know i can't break free and so there's that whole you know therapeutic conversation um which i've had discussions on the podcast about this idea of financial therapy it's the intersection of uh, you know financial advisory and you know 
uh, therapy. And yeah. I'm, I'm looking at this, well, you know, content is kind of right at the core of that too. And when, when, when you look towards the future, there's a lot of opportunity for financial brands to create and capture. But one question that I'm getting a lot now that I want to get your take on, and I'm, I'm seeing it in real time, is AI. How is AI going to impact the content game, particularly around all of the hoopla of chat GPT, AI writing content now? Is it something to fear or is it something that can be a capability augmentation um, to bridge many times could be capacity gaps within organizations? So it's just, once again, it's a different way of thinking, but what's your take on this? I, I think it's both. It can be both. I remember being in a meeting I, uh, at uh, BlackRock where I used to work a decade ago and someone's saying like, oh, I got a um, call from this company that does AI writing. And this is, you know, is this viable? Can we do that? And I was a writer at the time. I was the editor of the blog at the time. And I was like, wait, are you saying like you're going to, you know, be able to take do what I do with a, like a, a machine. Um, and we all kind of laughed about it and we're like, that's never going to happen. It's not possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> and here and, we are. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, for years, like we, we use Grammarly within our business. It's a fantastic yes. editing tool. Um, and we, we use other AI tools that are not writing, but, um, you know, kind of marketing adjacent that are extremely helpful, like Otter we use mm -hmm. for, you know, transcribing, et cetera. Um, but I just, I just discovered a new, a newer version of, or I think it's new of, uh, Grammarly called Quillbot. Do you know that one? I have not. And I, and I study the AI space pretty regularly. It is Paraphrasing amazing. Tool. Well, it's so funny because that's why I wanted to check it out because we write a lot of like meta descriptions and I was like, oh, cool. It's basically a paraphrasing exercise. So let's, let's see if this could like help us with that. But it, what it does is it gives you all of these options to rewrite clunky sentences. So, you know, we edit everything before it goes out the door, but we like to use some of these tools to, as just like a second look. And I would say Quillbot is like, get what is kind of giving real writers a run for their money. Uh, Real editors. I'll say that editors. Um, yes. Now, could they do, but here's the other thing. And this kind of goes back to what we were, um, I think, saying earlier about, you know, and I can't remember if it was before we started recording, but, you know, how we're humans marketing to humans, right? right. And can it, can AI replace that? It's not there yet. Um, certainly. It's interesting, though, because I think there's, there's a certain amount of content that is sort of table stakes, at least right now that might change. But um, right now, I would say there's a certain amount of content that's kind of table stakes for a financial services company, depending on what kind you are. We work with asset managers, financial advisors, lenders, banks, and they all have kind of their different, we call them vitamins. Yes. So for example, like a lender, um, back to your help and hope comment, you know, a lender is going to want to put out a lot of help content because financial, personal finance education is just in time education, right? Like no, nobody, I mean, of course there are people who write books on personal finance, et cetera, but for the most part, most of us just want to like Google our question about credit score and 
and get the answer and then move on. And I think a lot of lenders, um, you know, there is still room to play in that space from like an SEO perspective. If you've got um, great SEO content that answers people's just-in-time questions about um, things that are related to them. And, and that can help things that are related to the product or service that they sell. And that can help build their trust and credibility. If the if the user is seeing, um, and I just say user because they're Googling, yep. like if, that, if the audience member is seeing this brand come up over and over again when they're on this journey of trying to increase their credit score... Um, that is going to make them think about that brand as like a um, as an expert in this space and as being helpful to them yeah. in their journey, right? So there's all there's you know these things can accrue to your brand. They can help with top of the funnel, et cetera, and of course bottom of the funnel as well when they're mm-hmm. ready to take out a loan or whatever it is that they're shopping for. Um, so that's the we call those vitamins. The table stakes, you know, for an asset manager, it's like market outlook. Like everybody's got one. There's yep. thousands, yep. Of, thousands of them out there, you know, like there's this like, but if you didn't do it, that would be weird. That'd be a weird omission. Right. I think right now that may change, but right now that's still the case. You still need your portfolio manager, CIO to be expressing their opinion on the markets and what forecasting and, you know, um, all those types of things that doesn't change the fact that it's completely saturated and it all feels very me too. Like it's, it, you know, it's very hard to do some of this type of content I've been talking about in a differentiated way. Um, But then there's the hope content to your point, or there's the emotional connection. And, you know, we say this a lot, particularly to our advisor clients, like right now your ratio of investment kind of expertise content versus emotional content is probably 80 20 and you should switch it yes it should be the opposite um you need to build that emotional muscle you need to build that emotional connection i loved what you were saying earlier about i think there being this really wonderful um thing happening where like you know there's been a rise in coaching um as an industry and personally, I think there's like an amazing intersection between being a financial advisor and being a coach. And now all these, this coaching, I think is provided models that especially like a solo financial advisor could follow potentially. I mean, obviously there are other hoops to jump. It depends on if you're a planner or you're managing assets, but like, you know, I, I think this sort of sweet spot between coach and financial planner is so like, it's still a little early. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And it could be if you're a person who's, who's very gratified by actually seeing people make changes in their lives and benefit from your, you know, your help. I think that's a really interesting place to be. You know, I wrote about that in banking on digital growth, which published in 2020. And then this year, 2022 going into 2023, McKinsey released an article says, and I'm going to quote, it says, in the next 10 years, advisors will gradually shed their role as investment managers and become more like, quote, unquote, integrated life wealth coaches who advise clients on investment, banking, healthcare, protection, taxes, and financial wellness needs more broadly. As the industry undergoes this shift, wealth managers will need to fundamentally rethink their recruiting and training programs. And 
a lot of what's going to drive that will be also AI automation. It's like, and that's where I feel humanity has the potential to utilize these tools to get out of doing the rote and repeatable, you know, back to your example of um, Grammarly or what was the other platform? Quillbot. Quillbot. I mean, you know, that's the rote repeatable stuff. And so you're Uh able to spend more time doing the deeper level review and the learning and the thinking so that we can do even better. So I look at this as all like just capability augmentation upgrades to, you know, be even better human beings, if you will. As, as we start to wrap up, and we've covered a lot of ground here, and I appreciate the expertise that you have shared today to help our dear listeners, I believe all change that leads to future growth begins with a small, simple step today. And as we're talking about things like content, what is one small thing that the dear listener can commit to do next on their own journey of growth to move forward and make progress? Well, one thing, this probably works better for like a smaller advisory firm or a smaller community bank or um, credit union, but like dial in your customer feedback form and process, make it something that they're going to want to fill out. Like, Mm. and that can mean like more personalized messaging or, but, but get, make that something that really gets you some information and that you can get information from it on a somewhat regular basis. Um, I think also using sort of social media to talk, to try to gain feedback is, can be helpful, but it really depends on how much trust you've already built there with your audience. Um, but yeah, I think just having like for like for an advisory firm, this is one of the first things that we we focus on, you know, in their marketing strategy is like, what does your annual client survey look like? And can we make it something that we go from like a 20% response rate to 100%? How do we make the questions such that the answers are going to be immediately applicable in your, both in your business from the services you provide, et cetera, but also in your marketing. Yes. That right there is so practical that you can take away, apply, go and assess. Like, what does that look like? When was the last time that you looked at that process? And then what insights are you really gaining out of it? And I think most importantly, how are you applying those insights to get even better to do even more, to help even more people, to give more people hope, particularly during uncertain economic times. Anna, this has been a fantastic conversation. What is a great way for someone to, to continue the discussion that we've started here today? I would say go to our website, um, superscriptmarketing.com. Just check us out there. And thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.